Uh, we have an expert in the studio today. We have Mr. Tyler West, who is coming to tell us all about, on the segment uh, five-minute lecture, all about why we need a people's history in New Zealand. Now, Mr. West, are you ready to go? The I clock has b- the clock is about to begin. Your five minutes starts now. So the story of New Zealand we're most familiar with usually presents this country as being almost uniquely common. Um, when you get instances of mass disorder, they're kind of passed off as these isolated incidences. Um, they're representative of their time for sure, but they're not representative of New Zealand history as a whole. Essentially what you get is a country that we're presented with that's you know, very occasionally punctuated by these outbursts of disorder, but that's an exception that proves the rule. Besides that, New Zealand is super peaceful, it's super calm, where are people that don't like rocking the boat. Now the case for a people's history of New Zealand is that the, the, that image of this country, it fails to relate how the people of New Zealand have shaped this country, and, and the wider Pacific as well. It fails to get at how workers and dissidents and women and queer folk and Maori and immigrants and peaceniks and punks and hippies and all the lot uh, actually had a really far greater role than we give them credit. In reality, far aside from this kind of idyllic view of a very peaceful country um, that sorts through its problems, you know, through parliament, through peaceful means, that doesn't like rocking the boat or anything, that just sort of, you know, muddles through, has a very DIY approach to it. Um, For over a hundred years, the history of this country was one of cyclical surges in militant, radical activity that arose from really complex social conditions that built like a pressure cooker ready to blow. Now, they kind of came in waves for a long time. You had maritime strike in 1890 that came off the back of a really serious depression in the 1880s um, and also came off the back of a few decades of the working class kind of getting on its feet, the first unions appearing. After that, you had arbitration for a while that really settled things down. And you had people from overseas coming over and writing books like New Zealand, the country without strikes. They presented New Zealand as being super peaceful. That's kind of where the myth comes from. And in 1908 to 1913, you had a really big strike at Blackball that kind of broke the arbitration system and all hell broke loose. And that peaked in 1912 at Waihi with the death of Fred Evans at the hands of police and strike breakers. And then in 1913 with the Great Strike, which is the closest this country has ever come to a full-scale revolution. After that, you had World War I, of course. There was a lot of resistance to World War I that we kind of don't really get the scale of. We don't really talk about the fact that uh, there were over 2,000 people who lost all of their rights as citizens for 10 years after World War I as a result of their activism against the war. And the 20s, because arbitration was broken, also you started to see a building pattern of more working class activity, more strikes. And bubbling away in the background is also a lot of Maori activism that's occurring. Now, in 1932, there's a series of riots. This is like the next big surge that happens. In uh, There's two in Dunedin, there's one in Wellington, and there's the legendary Queen Street riot in Auckland, where for two whole nights, thousands and thousands of people just destroyed a fair chunk of... Christ- uh, of um, Auckland. Then it kind of goes quiet for a bit, and you've got the Watersiders lockout in 51, you've got the New Wage Order in 68, you've got the Springbok Tour in 81, and you've got the resistance to the ECA in 1991. Now, typically what you might get in a, you know, a usual history of New Zealand is kind of a few of these events, and they're portrayed as being one-offs. But in reality, in between each of those, you had a whole bunch of social conditions that we don't really talk about, and a lot of far more radical activism um, and political militancy that we just don't really remember. 
like the 70s, you had hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people going on strike quite regularly, you had all of these different social movements just explode. But if you open up, say, the Oxford History of New Zealand, what you get um, for that period is kind of one or two sentences that mention that this was a period of social activism, and they usually don't even mention the strikes that occurred at the time, despite the fact that that was really... Um, the peak of like working class rural militant activity. Um, another good example being the ECA. You see a statistic that says 60,000 people went on strike in, res in response to the ECA, which it isn't that much, it's quite a lot, but in reality if you took all of the wildcat actions that were occurring, if you took all of the protests that disrupted workplaces, what you actually had was 500,000 people all at once taking industrial action in response to the ECA. And the same can be said for social movements all over this country. Um, they're a lot bigger, they're a lot stronger than we give them credit, and the people's history of New Zealand is what we need to actually portray that vision of New Zealand that gets forgotten. That was fantastic. Um, you actually <laughs> mentioned quite a few things in there that I hadn't heard of and hadn't realised the implications of. <laughs> and um, if you're free to stick around for a few songs, we'll just get you back. We'll talk about just one or two of those items. Um, you've been listening to Tyler West, who's been talking about the need for a people's history of New Zealand. And you know what? I think I agree with him. You're <laughs> listening to The Pillow Thought on Radio 1, 12 till 2. This is Various Production with Hater, the Zombie Remix. Um, we've had Tyler West in the studio and of course he gave us our five minute lecture today which was about the need for a people's history in New Zealand um, he just brought up one thing in the interview and we just wanted to talk very quickly about that today you mentioned back in 1913 full scale revolution in New Zealand yeah well it's it's the best way to put it is it's the closest we ever got to that in New Zealand, because we've never had a proper revolution, and the closest thing we ever got to something that could have overthrown state power was right in the early days during the land wars when New the New Zealand state wasn't really settled and there was still a chance that um, an independent Maori political authority could have arisen, and they came very close on a few occasions and a couple of the wars of doing that. But in the aftermath of that, in 1913, um, we had this big maritime strike, the miners came out, um, a lot of transport workers came out as well. You had about fifteen to 20,000 workers uh, out on strike at that point, which is a bit smaller, even sort of proportional to population than some other events but their leadership was the Red Federation of Labour, which was explicitly revolutionary syndicalists aiming for a workers' republic in New Zealand. And 1913 was the moment where they really showed their power. Fantastic. And you also mentioned, of course, they hired a whole bunch of, the government hired a whole bunch of farmhands to come in and beat up all the strikers. They did. Yeah, they were called Macy's Cossacks. So mm. The Prime Minister was Mace, uh, William Macy at the time, mm. um, and they hired several thousand farmhands yeah. um, to come in and basically be scab labour, yeah. but to also bolster the ranks of the police who were very much strained to breaking point mm. um, with just the sheer number of people who were not only out of you know out on strike, but were um, basically taking control of their ports and workplaces to prevent scabs from getting in and working them. Um, 
probably the most well-known instance of sort of the fighting between Macy's Cossacks and the Picketers was the Battle of Featherston Street. I can't remember the date of it off the top of my head. What you had was 800 of these Macy's Cossacks who had been recruited and made special constables just for the duration of this strike. Um, they were given these sort of big, really you know, awful, wooden, awful-looking wooden clubs that they sort of batten people's heads in with. And I think in the case of just that one street battle most of them were mounted as yeah. well so it was re- it was like a full, full-scale cavalry charge at this picket and for several hours right in the middle of Auckland you had this massive street battle between um, 800 of these sort of farm hands with these big wooden clubs on horseback and at that point pretty desperate workers trying to hold this picket line because if one picket line gets broken it proves that the rest of them could be broken yeah. by these farm hands. Okay, well that is a very interesting history of New Zealand that we don't often get to hear, so I hope you've enjoyed that. We've had Tyler West on the Pillow Fort this afternoon giving us our five-minute lecture about the need for a people's history of New Zealand, and I definitely think he is right. Um, I'd like to thank you for coming on today. Great sure. to have you here. <laughs> and uh, for our listeners.